I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to this week's Failed Critics Podcast. One failed critic short. James is absent. We believe he's having a midlife crisis. Uh, we can't confirm reports that he's gone out and bought a sports car or a, a motorbike to try and make himself feel better. Uh, but I am Steve Norman. I am joined by Owen Hughes. Hello. And Jerry McCauley. Hello. Both playing it safe by not joining in my piss taking of James. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm probably in trouble now, and you two have just kept quiet and stitched me right up. It's because he's invited me to play golf with his new set of golf clubs. He's <laughs> bought with his midlife crisis money. And I've gone on a double date with him and his uh, younger girlfriend. So, <laughs> uh, right. So let's start off with some movie news that James uh, Jerry has for us. Yeah, pretty much the only interesting thing that's happened uh, is that Iran has decided they're going to sue um, the makers of Argo. But the the best thing about this was that it was reported as Iran is planning to sue Hollywood, which I loved. Just like they're just like, yeah, well, just just sue um, Holly, Hollywood. Let's sue them. Yeah, just the whole of Iran <laughs> sue Hollywood. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, I think Owen said this is basically like the time that Borat. Uh, came out and Kazakhstan just tried to sue everyone. But ironically, they I mean, it's been out for a while, but they kind of screened it for a load of officials and some Iranian movie critics uh, on on Monday, and they were they hadn't really uh, watched it or, or bothered with it until now, and, and they they all watched it and, and sort of discussed how they were going to file a lawsuit. So what what are what is their main gripe? They basically don't think that it's they they reckon it's an anti-Iran propaganda movie, and it's an, they said that it's 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 again an attack against our nation and uh, all of humanity. Why are they kind of the the symbol is the symbol for the whole of humanity? I don't know. Who, they they who, claim that who, like who was on that committee? I don't know, Kim right. Jong Il. Mm. Uh, <laughs> sure. Yeah, they they claimed that it was it was unrealistic that they were portraying Iran as as too violent and all this kind of thing, and and the fact that they've awarded Argo with 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 serious big big time awards is basically like um, the American establishment giving its seal of approval for anti-Iranian propaganda in their view. Get over it, Iran. Mm. Just get over yeah, it. Yeah, well said, Steve. That's it. That's done now. Yeah. <laughs> That's a fat war on, on failed critics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Just get over yourselves. 
Surely the surely like the countries from the embassies that Argo changed like the backstory of and made out that they just told all these people to piss off. I've got more, you know, reason to sue Hollywood, as it were. Because they just kind of changed... You know, wasn't it the British embassy that Argo just said, turned away these Americans, and they didn't actually? Yeah. And wouldn't they I, have... Wouldn't, wouldn't, yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't the British have more cause to... The Iranians have previous with this. They 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 got a bit uppity about uh, three hundred as well, because they said like showing all the sort of uh, people basically slaughtering a lot of Persians. Well, that was set oh. millions of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, um, they, they did go a bit mad about it. They've got a real. It's, it's a film. Just uh, watch it and enjoy it. Is it the actual like? Iranian government that have said this though it's not just like you know when you see uh, you know uh, CNN or something and they've got this raving lunatic representative of Iraq or whatever probably with a hook for a hand <laughs> yeah. no it's, it's, it's apparently Iranian officials they haven't named who but um, right. the lawyer that they've got in as well according to um, I can't remember what, what website it was but there's a lawyer they've got in who um, was also the lawyer for Carlos the Jackal uh, as in the Venezuelan terrorist Mm. Carlos the Jackal. So, interesting choice of legal representation, you might say. Mm. Well, we'll be interested to see how that turns out. Um, good luck, Hollywood. <laughs> uh, on to... We don't usually tackle current affairs. It's usually just fo- uh, film and football stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Um, There's a new podcast in that. <laughs> right, on to uh, what we've been watching this week. We might all be able to get a word in edgeways about James here. Uh, but Owen, how many films have you watched this week? Uh, Two. About eight or nine, I think, this week. I think we're going to have to start having a sweepstakes between the rest of us on how many films Owen has watched in the last seven days. I would probably win a few points with that. Well, no, you wouldn't be able to take part, obviously. Well, you'd all guess it wrong. <laughs> you'd have insider knowledge. So yeah. It's very good to Okay, which which of these films are you going to talk about this week? Um, I'm just going to quickly go over a couple of them. One which I really liked, um, and one, the first one I'm going to talk about, which I was surprised by how much I actually enjoyed, was Oz, The Great and the Powerful, the new Sam Raimi film. Um, yeah, I've got to kind of admit, though, I'm not an, a, a much of a fan of the original Wizard of Oz film. I did see it as, like, a young kid and didn't really attach any sort of nostalgia to it, because musicals have never really been my kind of thing i did like how it was you know it's got quite dark elements to it for a kids film um and especially one that was made so, you know such a long time ago and everything so yeah i mean i was quite curious to see how oz the great and the powerful would or the great and powerful brother would sort of turn out especially as it's sam raimi you know he, he can be a bit hit and miss i love some of his films the evil dead films fantastic i even like sort of drag me to hell for that was great and you know dark man's got its, its moments some of them tend to be a bit shit. I'm pointing my finger directly at Spider-Man 3 at the moment. So, you know, with a massive budget and a huge studio behind him, I wasn't sure what to expect really from Oz. Um, But it it was a lot better than I expected it to be. It feels like a proper Sam Raimi film that's been made for a PG audience. Sounds a bit odd to say that because, you know, he's he's known for his quite sort of atmospheric and and scary, dark, twisted moments and stuff. But... um, it, it was funny. It was a funny film. Um, it's got lots of nods to the original Wizard of Oz film, as well as that kind of dark, 
darker element that I meant, uh, mentioned earlier, sort of ominous kind of feel into the whole. So whole it's it's picture. it's a prequel to the Wizard of Oz, is it? Yeah, it's about Oz, the wizard, and how he came to be in Oz, and you know, became the wizard, and, and it follows the, the witches as well. And is it based on any kind of novel? Because wasn't there was it wasn't the Wizard of Oz a novel that they made into a film all them years ago, or have I got that wrong? I, I honestly don't know. I do re- do some research. You're the only one who's made some notes. You haven't done any <laughs> research. Yeah, I should have done more research on it. So I just it... kind of went into it with like no knowledge about what it was, other than it was about Oz the Wizard. Do you, Do you know if this is a planned remake of a series, kind of like what they've done with Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and they're going to end up back at Oz, Wizard of Oz, with Dorothy and all that again, or is this just a different thing, just a oh, one-off? He's... Now, I'd be surprised because it kind of leads right up to how he became a wizard and then the next film is really about Dorothy, you know. So I'd be kind of surprised if there was any anything they could squeeze in in between that. I know that, that you know, the, the musical Wicked was huge, which is probably the reason that Oz has been made anyway, you know, because of Disney cap, uh, capitalising on some of that, that musical success. But, yeah, I never saw Wicked. I don't really intend to see Wicked either. There was talk before they were going to make that into a film, so you know maybe they could be turning it into a kind of series like that where there's lots of films that tie into the same world, but not as far as I know. I don't think that there's any planned sequel. Okay. But, yeah. But anyway, the, the second film that I really wanted to talk about um, is the... Uh, I only saw it yesterday, actually, and I absolutely loved it. It's the Steven Soderbergh side effects... Um, which is supposedly going to be his last film ever. He's not making any more films. And so I kind of wanted to see it on the big screen anyway. But, you know, we saw Magic Mike last year. And I did quite like elements of Magic Mike, but I thought it would, you know, just just be a bit like that, really. I was loved it? some of his other films. Contagion was great. It was the Willies you liked, wasn't it? It was the Willies. I yeah. loved the Willies in it, yeah. yeah. The big Willies and the yeah. cock pump. That, yeah. That's my favourite. Yeah. Anything with the posing part joints there. <laughs> Absolutely. So I was a bit disappointed there were no willies in this, to be honest. But um, a bit of boobs, so, you know, swings and roundabouts. Um, but yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's really a fantastically clever script. And despite the film starting off quite slowly, um, it sort of feels like... Uh, have, you, have you, either of you seen Contagion? Um, I think so. No. Okay. The, the thing about sort of contagion because it it was billed as an ultra realistic film you know it's ultra realism in that the kind of plot is just developed out of stuff that would happen and they've tried to make it as real as possible if a virus did break out in the way that it did in that film so the way this film starts it's kind of a bit slow and it's about um a girl called emily who's suffering from depression she's given some drugs she's prescribed all these different kinds of drugs none of them seem to be uh working very well. She starts sleepwalking and in her sleep she um, stabs her husband, Channing Tatum, who's just got out of prison. So it's it's a mystery really, even though it seems like you've been given the details of exactly what's going to happen and what's happened and you know it's, it seems like it's all neat package. But there's a lot more to it and the way that the, the script kind of develops that is just Fantastic! I was just amazed by. It. I was. Um, it's all kind of like you know, smoke and mirrors. It, smoke and mirrors. It leads you into believing one thing, then suddenly it sort of pulls the curtain back, and you're looking at something else. And then again, it, it twists again. So 
it can be annoying in some films, but in this, it was just really, as I say, it was just really intelligent script and um, it's probably its, its strongest aspect. But it is shot very much like a Soderbergh film and that's what I really liked about it as well. So it's kind of got this, it's almost like a Hitchcockian thriller, you know? It's really kind of twisty and, and but really clever at the same time. And then it's got the, the, the style that, you know, is familiar from things like Solaris, which didn't really have a great script, but was shot really well. A um, bit less like something like Ocean's Eleven, but, you know, it's kind of, it does feel like a Soderbergh film, which is great. And if this is going to be his last film, then it is one hell of a way to bear out because it's just fantastic. And one last thing that I really want to say that I was surprised by about side effects, Jude Law is properly brilliant in this. Just a really, really good performance. And he's kind of just realising the potential that a lot of people have thought he's had but never quite achieved in in previous films. But in this, he's just there. He's just, just fantastic. To be fair to Jude Law, he occasionally turns in like decent performances, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, I've never really had a problem with him. I, I kind of, I think his probably next best performance that I've seen was AI. I quite liked his little bit in AI. Um, but he was playing a sort of androidy robot in that. So. Have you seen The Talent of Mr. Ripley? Uh, no, but I do know that's supposed to be his best performance, isn't it? Yeah, I think he, I don't think he won, but he got an, he got an, uh, an Oscar yeah. nomination. He might have already won a BAFTA or something. He, he got nominated for it. It, it, it was very good. Mm. I mean, he's made the, the sort of Sherlock film, so I didn't really expect him to be in such a quite a, um, you know, highbrow psychological thriller as this. I thought maybe he's just going down the route now that he's just going to be in films to make a lot of money. Um, but actually, this was, yeah, great. Uh, yeah, and he was just brilliant in it. So, yeah, I'll have to watch Talented Mr. Ripley and see how he compares. But I was really impressed with this. Okay, any other films that you would like to talk about with us, Owen? Uh, no, not really. I think two's enough, isn't it? Otherwise, I'll just be talking for the whole duration of the podcast. Okay. Uh, Jerry, what have you watched in the last seven days? I'm going to talk about one good, which was X-Men First Class, which I haven't seen until now. Uh, yeah, good film. Um, it was good. I think it was probably better than the original trilogy i haven't seen Wol- the wolverine film for for good reasons as it <laughs> yeah um, yeah it was a very it was a very good film in terms of you know a genre piece it's not going to be you know groundbreaking um making your your best films ever list i don't think but for for a, you know a superhero film it was good and and it, it controlled the x men mythology quite well i thought i thought there was definite sort of there was a lot of love for for the source material there um a couple of problems i have with it one kevin bacon as a german just didn't work for me especially when he was speaking german like in the early scenes i was just like what is this it's just it's just an american speaking german with an american accent um uh, but he actually he grew into it he got better um and I thought actually the writing on this was was quite poor in part. Some of the script writing was pretty poor, and there was there was one scene in particular, like on the submarine between Kevin Bacon and January Jones, that was just it was it existed purely for exposition, just just to move the story along a little bit. 
and it was felt really amateurish and quite jarring actually. I mean, overall, it was it was pretty good, but I mean, I was amazed because I, I couldn't remember who'd done it. I just watched it, and then I checked afterwards, and to find out that it was it was Matthew Vaughan and Jane Goldman writing it. I mean, it was like, wow, how did that happen? They're <laughs> usually really good. Um, I suspect Owen's got a bit of a, a view on this. Um, yeah, I mean, I quite liked it. I don't think it was quite as good as X Men Two. But um, yeah, like, there are moments in the script where you write it. It just seems to just be uh, expositional dialogue, and it, it kind of jars a little bit because the rest of the movie flows really well. I mean, the, the introductions of some of the characters, you know, um, Charles Xavier, who's played by uh, James McAvoy, he's his introduction is quite good. I thought it, it suited his character and it was written really well. But yeah, you're right. Sometimes the, it just seems to stop mid-flow and yeah. Have, these bits in it that just really irked me a little bit some of it feels very clunky and like you say there are scenes like like charles's introduction and you know even the, the sort of magneto's introduction as well they're, they're very well handled and they're they're nice and then you get there's a scene where they just decide to give each other nicknames mm. and show off what they do and it's like could you not have found a more creative way of doing this than just them taking it in turns to say this is what i do here's my nickname like it was literally that they were like, right, well, we've got these other characters, so we need to we need to say what they do and who they are. So let's just do it in about in, in about a minute. Just get them all to do it really quickly in a room. That was yeah. that was what it was. It was bizarre. So it was a strange mix, but overall, you know, it was very good. There's some really good CGI in it. Um, generally well acted. Um, I think <sighs> Fastbender's really good in it, but. It's not as good as he as he has been in other films, but he's still. It's like he's not really. He doesn't seem to be trying as much with this one, but he's still very very good. Which actually, I I watched this and thought, do you know what? This is a sign that he really is a great actor because this isn't him really making that much of an effort. He just seems to be being fastbender, and he was still very good at what he did. Mm. Um, generally though, yeah, the plot was was all right. You know, it wasn't. You know, a twisty, turny, amazing thriller minute story. It was it was fairly standard fare, but it was interesting. It kept me engaged. I, you know, I wanted to know what what happened, and I, I would have liked it to be a bit more like Kick Ass in terms of making it more violent, um, and making it that sort of that eighteen kind of style. But I understand this this market; they're never gonna they're never gonna take it away from being a twelve A, are they? So. It, it was good. It was standard, you know, nice big budget Hollywood superhero blockbuster. Um, probably on a par with sort of. I, I would say it's as good as X Men Two actually, Owen, and it's probably about the standard of sort of Spider Man Two as well. That kind of, you know, handles it all right, but there's a bit bit clunky in places that it doesn't quite work. That's fair enough. It's a better million times better than uh, Wolverine Origins, by the way. Yeah, I, I'm hesitating to ever bother to watch that. <laughs> to be honest, yeah, it's that's a, that's an interesting film because it, it kind of suffered from the the pirating of it. It got released on um, torrents and stuff well before it was supposed to be released. So you you kind of get the feeling that they then really had to rush out a final film. So it's it's a, bit, it's a bit of a shit film anyway. But the way that it's hastily put together in the end, it really shows. Because the editing's a bit awful on it. 
But um, yeah, yeah. Speaking speaking of dodgy films, the other film that I watched. Don't ask me why. I can't remember even remember what channel it was. It was some random channel on Freeview that I've never even noticed before. <laughs> um, and it's a film called The Forgotten. Has anybody seen it? Um, remind me what it's about. I might have done. It's called Steve's Forgotten. Yeah. 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 I'm sensing a joke coming up. It's got Julianne Moore in it and Dominic West out of the wire. Oh, right. <laughs> and basically, Julianne Moore gets told by everyone that her son never existed. She has memories of her son and thinks that he died in a plane crash. And is then she... everyone says that she never had a son. She had a miscarriage. Is this, uh, is this the one where she's on a plane when it happens? Or is part of it on a plane? No, that, I, know, I know what you're thinking of. That's um, with Jodie Foster. Uh, yeah, that's, I'm thinking of the Jodie Foster one. This sounds really similar. Yeah. Yeah, I I thought I when I read the info, I thought, oh, it's that it's that one, but it wasn't. That's the one I thought it was as well. Yeah. Um, but basically, you know, it starts off. She goes to a psychiatrist, and and both the psychiatrist and her husband tell her that she's you know she's she's a bit mental basically, and she's created these memories, and she's utterly convinced that she had a son, and and that things happened, and then that and it it seems that actually she didn't, and and early on. It's a very intriguing sort of premise. You know, it's a, it's a good idea. They do it quite well. You know, there's there's the standard sort of the kids in the picture with her and her husband and then next time she looks, it's not there. And, and you know, there's her memories interspersed. And she meets um, Dominic West and his, his daughter was also on this plane, she thinks. And he says he never had a daughter. He completely denies. You know, he's like, oh, no, I never had a daughter. I don't know what you're talking about. You're crazy. Um, and she belatedly convinces him to remember his own daughter by getting him to say her name or something slightly shit. Um, <laughs> and he he believes her and joins her, but the authorities are trying to stop her, and he helps her fight the authorities. And he starts off... You know, quite like it might. I thought, oh, this might well be like a fairly decent film where it's sort of examining whether she's mentally ill, you know, whether it's real or not. And there are some great films that have done this. There's, there's Rosemary's Baby is the classic example where you don't know if she's mad, she's imagining it, or whether thing, dodgy things really are happening. And I think in his head, Joseph Rubin probably thought this was kind of going along that Rosemary's Baby route, but he's watched a bit too much X Files. And and basically, what starts out as quite a good idea and seems to be going quite well for the early bit, slowly descends into an episode that the X Files discarded because it was too shit. <laughs> and things start coming in that just make no sense, and they just they just get stupider and stupider. For one, Dominic West and Julianne Moore can apparently outrun NSA agents at will every time. <laughs> no matter what, they're startlingly incompetent for federal agents. Um, oh. Do you know what? Spoiler alert, turn this off if for some bizarre reason you want to watch this film. But I can tell you, do not watch this film. Please don't watch this film. Um, basically, it turns out that the kids are being abducted by aliens to conduct experiments on them. What? I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, neither was I. Because it, it starts off as sort of a, a reasonable thriller. And the twist is, obviously, that you think that the government, when they start trying to get her uh, tr- uh, involved in some cover-up or something, 
it turns out they are involved in a cover-up. They're covering up for these aliens that they can't stop. <laughs> so it's not even Just like a subtle hint of aliens anywhere in the film and then they kind of blow it massively at the end. It's just like out of nowhere, completely <laughs> well, blindsided. This is the end, Steve. This is the middle. Oh. Right? And, and amazingly, these aliens have the ability to just pluck people. Like, they can just, they'll be there and then they just, like, whip them off into the sky. I mean, quite literally, they'll be like, she'll be having a conversation with someone and then they just go, and, like, pull her into the sky. Right? Mm-hmm. So they just, like, zap people off into the sky. And this, like, this just happens, and it's just like, oh, okay. And then you start thinking, well, if these aliens are able to just, like, whip people off the face, why don't they just whip her off the face? <laughs> why don't they whip all these people who are causing the problems? And it turns out that, actually, the experiment is testing um, a mother's bond with a child, and they can measure, apparently, these aliens, and, there's, you know, they're testing the energy, and, and everyone forgets apart from her, and they're trying to understand why she, oh, God, it, it's just awful awful and it just gets worse and worse as it goes on because it, it's really promising at the start and and if they'd have explored the route of you know this being pos- is, is it mental illness you know whether it's her inability to cope with the loss all these kind of things uh, whether there was a loss what you know what's going on it could have been a really good serious film mm. and instead they just go ah is just it- go a bit crazy is it the worst introduction of aliens into a film since knowing of Nicolas Cage yeah probably you know probably although this predates it so actually knowing should have learned from this <laughs> knowing could learn from anything did it this predates it by like five years so yeah they really should have known <sighs> considering the, the 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 title is knowing as well oh. they really should have been fucking knowing uh no terrible film avoid 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 and don't be fooled by the first sort of 20 minutes, half an hour that seem like they might be sort of a Hitchcockian thriller going on that seems actually guys really bad. And strangely enough, um, Joseph Rubin has not made another film since this film. <laughs> and the ones that he did before were not good either. I think the only notable ones he did, he did Money Train, which is the one with Wesley Snipes and uh, Woody Harrelson in. <laughs> from the mid-90s, and he did Sleeping with the Enemy with uh, Julia Robertson. That's about it. He's, he's literally done nothing in his career. He's washed up. Yeah, I mean, Sleeping with the Enemy wasn't wasn't good either. So, no, uh, it, it's very telling that this film essentially killed off his career. Well, if you're going to make terrible. if you're gonna make shit like that, you don't deserve to have a career in Hollywood. Yeah, the guy who wrote it as well got completely. That was that was the end of his career as well. There you go. Oh Why didn't the actors read the script first and think, "Hang on, this sounds rubbish"? I think maybe they were a bit. I was trying to work this out myself, right? And I think actually, because Julianne Moore's performance in it, at least at the start, when she's got a fair bit of screen time and she's allowed to sort of act rather than endlessly doing these chase scenes. That she's actually quite good. Her performance is quite good, and I think that's what draw, helps draw you in at the start. And then, do you think? Yeah. She, do you think she was just she didn't read the script beforehand and was kind of reading it as they went along filming, and then sort of well, so started off I, at the start like you did, thinking, "Oh, this is quite good," and acting really well, and then got to the middle and thought, oh, "Fuck this, I can't be bothered anymore," and phoned yeah, the rest, I, I, phoned I, the rest I, in. She, she read the first like ten pages or so. So, oh yeah, yeah, this is really good. Like, skip to the end. It's like, oh, happily reunited at the end. Right, cool. Right. Yeah, I'll do it. Give me a million quid. <laughs> and then 
she didn't read all the shit in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Julianne. Oh dear. Uh, right, what films have I watched? Well, I can't talk about. Well, I can talk about briefly the two crap films that I watched in the last week, but they're going to be on the website. Is an article as part of my box office flop series. One should be up soon. So I watched The Green Lantern, starring Ryan Reynolds, which is part of the DC universe of superheroes. That was just terrible. I mean, for for a guy who's got a pretty impressive superpower that it was just no charisma a flimsy plot and a bad guy it wasn't menacing or scary or terrifying or anything you just didn't feel threatened by him at all and it was worthy of flopping at the box office but with them wanting to do a justice league movie you just wonder if they'll bung ryan reynolds into that as the green lantern still because he's already been established as that character and he's probably quite a big box office pull or if they'll just sort of give up and start again with that character. To, to be fair, I think he does make a good Hal Jordan. I just didn't I think, think he, I, I he, usually like him in other films and TV programs that I've seen him in, but in this, I just think he lacked any kind of charisma. Um, he's usually quite charismatic as well. Yeah, I think it's more the script really than than his performance. I don't know. I mean, I kind of liked Green Lantern because. I'm a bit of a DC fanboy anyway, so I quite like actual realisation of that character. But yeah, I know it has got its flaws. I'm kind of trying to pretend they don't exist, really. Um, And the other one that I'll be writing an article on soon is John Carter of Mars, or John Carter, because the of Mars part, they didn't want to put him because they didn't want people to think it was a sci-fi film or something. I don't know. What, I don't know what. I don't know what the marketing department were doing there, but they dropped the off Mars bit for some reason. But oh, that was just terrible. I didn't even watch it to the end. I couldn't be bothered. It was such absolute drivel, just absolute nonsense. I couldn't be bothered with it. I thought I would got... love you to to watch the Forgotten Steam, and then we could, you can tell me which one is worse. I'm, I so might well do that. If it's worse, both the Green Lantern and John Carter are on Sky Go. Watched two good films, though, in the last seven days. Uh, on Netflix US was American Psycho, with, for the first time I watched that, with Christian Bale as Patrick Bateman, who was, this is a great performance, is an absolute psycho, obviously, nut job, and you just kind of see his world unravel around him. I mean, where he starts off as quite a stable psycho, and he seems to have everything under control, and he's quite meticulous. And then everything just absolutely collapses around him. It actually comes quite comic at the end. In my, his character kind of comes a bit of a, a bumbling idiot towards the end. Does that make sense? Yeah. Have you read the book, Steve? No, it's a book. Don't be stupid. Oh. <laughs> Honestly, the book is is one of my favourite books, and it, it kind of, <clears throat> the book is is much more clear in the fact that it's sort of skewering. American society and it's really satirical and I think the film perhaps doesn't have that did, did it come across as a satire to you like a, a commentary on American society not particularly really no um, I mean it was a good film and, and it's entertaining and the characters were interesting and it was a good good plot but yeah it didn't really come across as a satire or a parody of American society or American culture uh, it, see, I, I mean, I like the film. Don't get me wrong. I think it's, it's missing a lot that the book has, though. 
But, I mean, it's, it's fairly well made. Interesting fact about that, by the way. Christian Bale playing Bateman. Do we know about the, the, the relation with his mum with that book? No. No. His, his mum is a big-time feminist and tried to have the book banned when it was published. She had to try to have it banned from the UK and stuff. And she was really sort of forceful and vocal and, and sort of leading this campaign to not allow the book into the country because it's terrible, you know, and, and it is quite graphically violent. A lot of it is, you know, graphic violence towards women, but she, she really wanted this book banned and, like, spearheaded the campaign. And then, like, ten years later, was it, her son was playing uh, Bateman on screen? <laughs> Unlucky love. Yeah. I just had deja vu while you were saying that as well. So what does that tell you? Nothing really. Just Is your mum a big compet like, you know, face the face of feminism in the UK now, Steve? No. No. Oh. No, I doubt she's all that violence yeah. towards women. Yeah. Um the other film that I watched, I only watched it today, on Netflix UK, it was The Hunger Games, watched that for the first time. Um starring Jennifer Lawrence as Basically, for those who don't know, I'm sure most people do, Hunger Games is set in the future where America has been in some kind of internal civil war and then one big area rules over 12 different districts and every year they pick two people, two young people from each district to compete in some games where it's basically a fight to the death. Um, I think one of you reviewed this, haven't you, for the podcast before? I might have talked about it. I've seen it, yeah. What did you, what did you think of it? Um, I don't want to talk about it too much because it's quite new. So we, on on Netflix and DVD and things, I don't want to spoil it too much. But I found it very enjoyable. It's obviously not the best film ever, but it was very enjoyable. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's not you're not going to come out thinking, "Wow, you know that was a cinematic visionary film." It, it, it was. It's a good, solid, big budget film. And if you if you've seen Battle Royale. And you like Battle Royale. It's a bit like Battle Royale. But with it's Jennifer like, Lawrence, which is no you know, negative to anything. No. I mean, it's pretty well put together. I can't say there was any particular weakness in it that sticks in my head. It hasn't stuck out as a great film or anything, but it was enjoyable. I think any any programme with or, or movie with Woody Harrelson that doesn't have enough Woody Harrelson needs, you know, could be improved by having more Woody Harrelson. He is great in that, isn't he? Yeah. He really is good in that. I have just finished watching all of Cheers, though, so, I mean... Uh, and he's great in that, so... Um, it's interesting, the, the Hunger Games, because at the start of last year, after it just came out, it was everywhere, wasn't it? And then towards the tail end of last year, when people were sort of putting together lists of their favourite films of 2012 and stuff, it seemed to just disappear. No well, one was talking about it. 2012 was a fairly good year for films, but... You know, while the Hunger Games was big budget, it and, it and it was enjoyable and it's got good performances, it's not great. On no level is it a great film. It's a good film that you can watch, but you don't really have to sit there and concentrate on it either. Hmm. Um, so it's, I don't think it's going to top many people's best list, but it's certainly not going to reach many people's worst lists. I had I had a free rental from Blinkbox um, recently, and I had the option of either renting Hunger Games or Cabin in the Woods, and I went for Cabin in the Woods. So did I make the right decision, or...? Um, I think Cabin in the Woods is better, but just because it's, I don't know, better made, it's it's more of a homage to horror films, um, mm. and you've got lots of references and in-jokes and that kind of thing. 
But The Hunger Games isn't bad by any means. It's certainly good and enjoyable. Okay. Cool. Uh, Did you notice as well, Steve? Did you notice Elizabeth Banks in it? Um, no. Do you know um, Effie Trinket, the one with the crazy hair? Yeah. That's Elizabeth Banks. Is oh, it? A 40-year-old virgin and like Zach and Miri and stuff. Yeah. That's mental. Yeah. If, <laughs> if anybody watches this... Keep your eyes peeled for, for Elizabeth Banks. I genuinely, I was like, mm, she looks vaguely familiar, but... <laughs> and then it was Elizabeth Banks. It looks nothing like her. So see if you can spot her. That's, that's, well, that's you can now. You just, told, you just told them who she is. Well, yeah. <laughs> <but>. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> on on now... Spoilers, Steve. <laughs> on now to a hastily arranged triple bill. We were going to do A Corridor of Praise for Stanley Kubrick, but we can't really do that without James. It's a bit unfair. Um, especially as he was the one who would have written the whole introduction and none of us could be bothered to do it. <laughs> so, with it being Mother's Day last Sunday in England, I know the rest of the world have a Mother's Day, I just don't know if it's the same date. Is it? I don't know. We've got listeners from around the world, but I don't know when Mother's Day is there. Anyone? I don't know. It was International yeah. Women's Day like last week, so we can, we can class it on that, at the very least. That was, that was global. Nah, let's just do Mother's Day. Mother's Day was <laughs> Mother's Sunday. Mother's Day was Sunday in England, so we're going to do a hastily arranged triple bill. Our best movie mums. Um, and stop or my mum will shoot. Yes, that one did not that make my list. No, no, did not make the cut. <laughs> what was he thinking when he made that? He's thinking about the moolah. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. So I'll start off with my three. Um, my first one is, um, Forrest Gump's mum, uh, played by oh. Sally Field. That's a great show. Um, mm. I can't remember her name. What was, what was the name of, or did it, did she actually have a name or was she just Mrs. Gump or mum? Just like mama, isn't she? Yeah. But played excellently by Sally Field and looks after Forrest Gump, who's obviously, as we know, not quite right in the head. I don't think they ever sp- specifically say what's wrong with him, but he's a bit simple. He's a bit slow. Yeah. He's a, uh, but she has to put up with all these, you know, helping as a single mum, helping raise him on her own, on, you know, whatever money she earns. She tries to do the best for him, protecting him from, you know, the outside world who might see him as a bit different or a bit of a hindrance because of his various disabilities. Even sleeps with a school principal to get him into school. Um, so yes great mum in terms of what she does for him whether it might be hard for her or not there's so many jokes to be made about the fact that you think that your mum sleeping around to get you stuff isn't good mothering I don't even know where to begin with the young (laughs) Steve look she did what needs to be done and look how it turned out eh yeah he he done loads of stuff Met some president. Yeah. Met some presidents. Was really good at ping pong. <laughs> Owned a boat. You know, what a life! It's a good choice. It's yeah. a good choice. Of course it is. Plus, she has one of the saddest things when she dies. Oh, yeah. Sorry if no one's seen Forrest Gump. Yeah, I'm but... full of the spoilers tonight. Just spoiler central this episode. They must have seen it by now. Um, You'd have to be living in a cave to have not seen Forrest come by now. Yeah. Second one that I picked 
isn't, strictly speaking, this person's mum. I mean, she's a mum, but she's not this person's mum. But it's the... It's Edward Scissorhands. Um, what's her name? Someone remind me. Peg, the Avon lady who somehow... I, can't, I haven't seen it for so long, but she discovers Edward Scissorhands in this big old haunted house and takes him in despite his um, scissors for hands. <laughs> and kind of... Diane, Diane Diane West, Wh- yeah, she's the one who plays him, uh, plays her. Um, it's been so long that I've since I've seen it, but I thought I'd pick that one because I didn't think anyone else would either. <laughs> no, I didn't pick it. <laughs> it didn't even occur to me. It's Man. a unique pick, I think, Steve. Yeah. I I really did I forgot about this to be honest. <laughs> Don't give the game away, yeah. Steve. Uh the last one, let's gloss over that second one. After the first one was quite good. <laughs> the second one was rubbish, let's forget about that. The third one, not really in the list for being a good mum. Uh is Stifler's mum from American Pie. That fortune might appear on the podcast. Hey. <laughs> That wasn't the one that me and you were talking about earlier, was it, Jerry? Where we never actually no. made him. No. Oh. No. I did consider her, to be fair. Yeah. But it hasn't everyone. <laughs> yes. Uh, so that rounds off my list with Stifler's mum. <laughs> um, Owen, who did you pick? Um, well, I think quite predictably. Um, I, my first choice is Sarah Connor from the Terminator series. Crossover. Yeah, I thought there would be. I was going to be very surprised if there was no one else who's who's picked her. Um, yeah, I mean, she might not be the most responsible parent in the world, um, but you know, she's one of the most interesting characters. I think even you know, just a great character, full stop. Never mind being a great sort of mother character. Um, yeah, I think she's really interesting. The way that she grows through the course of the series, you know, the, of the film, starting off as this. Um, sort of typical 80s uh, hip, sort of big blonde-haired partying girl, then due to the whole evil robot from the future that's trying to kill her stuff, becomes a real kind of action hero. And, um, yeah, great character. Would you agree, Jerry? Yeah. I mean, she was the first one that came to mind when we when this topic came up. Yeah. She's just, in terms of iconic cinema women as well, not just mm. not just mothers, but you know, there's there's sort of her and and uh, Ripley from Alien, very much stand out as iconic strong women in film, and she she, she yeah she's awesome, she's really awesome, and also kudos to uh, I can't remember the woman who played her Linda, oh I can't remember her name, but she she really worked her ass off for that role as well. I mean, you look at if you ever read about the sort of the physical preparation she did for that role, she was intense. Really? Yeah, she spent like I think it was like six months. Uh, Linda, what's her name? Linda, Linda Hamilton. Uh, Linda Hamilton. Ah, yeah. She, she, honestly, she, she really went to town, making sure she, she could, she looked like someone who could kick ass in that film. Mm, definitely. Yeah. So she was great. So that was my first pick. My second pick. You know, you've just kind of mentioned um, about sort of Sigourney Weaver and Ripley. She's not my my second choice. My second choice is. The alien queen from Aliens, because um, you know it's a mom, whether it's an alien or a human. But um, yeah, I only found out earlier on actually that Ripley in the Aliens film is a mom by that point in the series. 
at Deep Pangloss on Twitter mentioned her as his sort of favourite film on. So I did a bit of Googling, did a bit of research. And yeah, in an alter- alternative version of Aliens, turns out that she had a daughter who lived to be the age of 67 and died. I did not know that. That's sort of blown my mind a little bit. What? So she, Sorry, where, where is this daughter? I'm really confused. Yeah, I don't know. She had a daughter that was apparently died when she got to 67 years of age because, you know, Aliens is set quite far into the future from Alien. But it just completely, I have no idea. I just sort of saw it on IMDb and, yeah, I, what? It, I still haven't really got my head around it, to be honest. But, yeah, an alternative version of it. She's um, she's a mum. Because I know she becomes a mum in uh, Alien Resurrection. Uh, but She's kind really... of an adoptive mum in, in Aliens as well. With Newt, yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, apparently she, she actually had a daughter who died. It was just edited out of the original version. But, um, yeah, no, so she could have been one of my favourite film mums if I'd have known that when I was sort of putting this together. But, no, she, the, the uh, Alien Queen is... I think the, the first time you see the alien in the first film, in Ridley Scott's film, uh, it's just incredibly sort of creepy and scary and, you know, everything that it's supposed to be. The first time you see the alien queen in Aliens is it's sort of opposite to that in that it's just this awesome scene. You know, the first time you actually see her. And, uh, you know, when Ripley's sort of making the pact in the tunnel with her... Uh, just one of the best moments of the whole film series, really. And she's just fantastically designed, too. And all the little eggs and stuff. And, yeah, just brilliant, brilliant designed and uh, great film. Mom. Yeah. Uh, my, then my final pick is, um, I wouldn't expect any crossover with this one, but Zira from the Planet of the Apes films. You only really see her as a mom kind of briefly during the third film series. But it's her scene kind of towards the end of Escape from the Planet of the Apes. It's one of the best moments in that that whole sort of series of five films, really. Because it's so kind of bleak and tragic compared to what went on before in the rest of the film, which is kind of a fairly light-hearted sci-fi, even if it, you know, it's got this message in there about sort of saving the planet, which is about as subtle and as crudely forced in as it could be in an episode of Captain Planet, for example. But, you know, there's... The, there's a particular point towards the, the end of the film where her and uh, her husband, Cornelius, kind of hide in and they're being sort of trapped by um, by some uh, officials. And it, it's really actually quite a touching scene with her and, and her little baby. Um, you kind of just forget it's just two people in monkey costumes carrying like what must, I don't know what it is, just a bag of flour in a blanket or something. But yeah, it's really kind of quite a touching touching moment in the series. So... I think because of that, and I did quite like the character of Zero anyway. I think she's just played brilliantly by um, Kim Hunter after the whole the whole series. But yeah, in, in Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Zero, she's a mom, and so she gets onto my list. Okay. Was there any crossover? Did anyone choose Zero? No, of not. No, I didn't think there would be. Um, who on <laughs> Sarah Connor did you pick then, Jerry? Um, first one. I've I've chucked a lot of spoilers out so far. Uh, this this one is kind of a spoiler, but it's kind of not. Um, it depends on how you read it and how deeply you take it. But the bride in Kill Bill. Okay. Um, who it's it's established pretty early on, um, that she is left for dead whilst pregnant. Uh, 
by the people who wronged her. And then the, the story of Kill Bill 1 and Kill Bill 2 is her getting revenge on the people who attacked her and left her for dead and put her in a coma while she was pregnant and getting married. So she is sort of that revenge mission. It's similar to Sarah Connor, really, in that kind of criteria. It's, it's, it's very much she's going to go out and kick some ass on mm. half of her <laughs> on behalf of her offspring. Uh, it, it's, I, lo- I love Kill Bill. I mean, I love both the films. I really like Tarantino. I, I like Uma Thurman in, in, in those films. I like her in, in most of sort of Tarantino stuff when she's been in that. I'm not a particular fan in some of them, especially when she does like sort of romantic comedies. She's she's not good at them, but she's really good at this role, and it's a kind of an iconic, an iconic role again. And I won't go into any more than that because I've already chucked a lot of spoilers around. All right, <laughs> no, it's a good choice. We had a few people, um, I think, a couple people mentioned her on Twitter as well. It's a very popular choice. She she was a good choice though. Yeah, she, I mean, it was kind of her and Sarah Connor were ones that came came into my head. Uh, mm. Another one that occurred to me. Um, which I was fairly confident that no one else would name, um, is I can't decide. I'm gonna I'm gonna chuck a film in. If anybody's seen it, you can help me decide. Volver by it's an Almodovar film. Has anybody seen it? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Steve, uh, it's a subtitle film. Why am I asking Steve? <laughs> You've not seen it, have you, Steve? Definitely not. Not if I off the road. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, basically, the film is the story of Penelope Cruz and her daughter, and her mother has died, and then, without wanting to spoil anything, she ends up moving back to, sort of, regaining her links with her family, and her mother's died, and and sort of, the mum has has things left undone in her life that she then needs to get done. And it's hard to pick between Penelope Cruz and Penelope Cruz's mom, who's I can't remember the actress that they're, they're playing. Um, but but both of them are really strong. I mean, Almodovar has a sort of a trademark thing of having these really strong women who you know are, are very sort of powerful and and he's very good at doing females. And I did consider doing All About My Mother. Has anybody seen All About My Mother? No, no. God, you are terrible. Uh, <laughs> Carmen Maurer um, is, is the mother in, in Volver. Sorry, it's just it's just occurred to me. She's also in Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, which is a great early Almodovar film if you want sort of an introduction to his work. Um, he's known for these strong females, basically. And, and, and in this, it's kind of, there's, there's themes about hometowns and small, small town life in Spain and things like that. But really, it, it's about sort of, relationships between mothers and daughters and it's absolutely fantastic film. really highly recommended um but it's, it's hard to just this sort of decide between penelope cruz and her mum in this but i'm gonna go just about with penelope cruz but only because i agree strongly with her one action that she takes as a mother and I can't tell you what that is because, again, it's a spoiler. But if you watch it, you you may agree with me. I'd be really interested if if someone watched this, by the way, um, for their or any Almodovar films, and they keep recommending them, and none of you watch them. You shower of <laughs> bastards. Um, but yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting to see if if other people watch this and agreed with my choice of of her as the 
as, as the preferred one, although I, I, I do like Colin Maurer's character a lot as well. Uh, yeah, I'm going to check it out then. I will watch it and then I'll report back. You watch like 10 films a week, so you can, you can, can fit I, this one in. If it's easy to get a hold of, then yeah. If it's on like Love Film Instant, or otherwise it just goes on the watch list and ends up. That's already quite long, but I'll try and track it down. I, th- I think it's on Love Film. I know, I know it's on Love Film. I don't know whether it's on Love, Love Film Instant, but it's, it's definitely around. Okay. Okay, I think that's all for this week's podcast then. Um, thanks for everyone who contributed in any way whatsoever. And I guess that includes Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com for the music at the beginning and the end of the podcast. Um, yes, we'll be back next week, uh, hopefully with James. Um, so, see you all then. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. They said that it's 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 again an attack against our nation and uh, all of humanity. Why are they kind of the the symbol is the symbol for the whole of humanity? I don't know. Who, they, they who, claim that, who, like, who was on that committee? I don't know. Kim right. Jong Il. Mm. Uh, <laughs> Sure. Yeah, they they claimed that it was it was unrealistic that they were portraying Iran as as too violent and all this kind of thing, and and the fact that they've awarded Argo with 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 serious big big time awards is basically like um, the American establishment giving its seal of approval for anti-Iranian propaganda in their view. Get over it, Iran. Hmm. Just get over yeah, it. Yeah, well said, Steve. That's it. That's done now. Yeah. <laughs> That's a fat war on, on failed critics. <laughs> yeah. yep. Just get over yourselves. Surely the surely like the countries from the embassies that Argo changed like the backstory of and made out that they just told all these people to piss off. I've got more, you know, reason to sue Hollywood, as it were. Because they just kind of changed... You know, wasn't it the British embassy that Argo just said, turned away these Americans... And they didn't actually. Yeah. And wouldn't they I, have? Wouldn't wouldn't it, wouldn't wouldn't the British have more cause to to? The Iranians have previous with this. They 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 got a bit uppity about uh, three hundred as well. Because they said like showing all the sort of uh, people basically slaughtering a lot of Persians. And that was set oh. millions of years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, and... they, they did go a bit mad about it. They've got a real... It's, it's a film. Just watch it and enjoy it. Is it the actual, like, 
Iranian government that have said this, though. It's not just like, you know, when you see, uh, you know, uh, CNN or something and they've got this raving lunatic representative of Iraq or whatever. Probably with a hook for a hand. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, it's just apparently Iranian officials. They haven't named who, but um, right. the lawyer that they've got in as well, according to, um, I can't remember what, what website it was, but there's a lawyer they've got in who um, was also the lawyer for Carlos the Jackal, uh, as in the Venezuelan terrorist. Mm. Carlos the Jackal. So, interesting choice of legal representation, you might say. Mm. Well, we'll be interested to see how that turns out. Um, good luck, Hollywood. Uh, on to... We don't usually tackle current affairs. It's usually just fo- uh, film and football stuff, isn't it? Yeah. Um, There's a new podcast in that. <laughs> right, on to uh, what we've been watching this week. We might all be able to get a word in edgeways about James here. Uh, but Owen, how many films have you watched this week? Uh, Two. About eight or nine, I think, this week. I think we're going to have to start having a sweepstakes between the rest of us on how many films Owen has watched in the last seven days. I would probably win a few points with that. Well, no, you wouldn't be able to take part, obviously. Well, you'd all guess it wrong. <laughs> you'd have insider knowledge, so yeah. it's very good to <laughs> Okay, which, which of these films are you going to talk about this week? Um, I'm just going to quickly go over a couple of them. One which I really liked, um, and one, the first one I'm going to talk about, which I was surprised by how much I actually enjoyed, was Oz, The Great and the Powerful, the new Sam Raimi film. Um, yeah, I've got to kind of admit, though, I'm not an, a, a much of a fan of the original Wizard of Oz film. I did see it as, like, a young kid and didn't really attach any sort of nostalgia to it because musicals have never really been my kind of thing. I did like how it was, you know, it's got quite dark elements to it for a kid's film. Um, and especially one that was made, so, you know, such a long time ago and everything. So, yeah, I mean, I was quite curious to see how Oz, the Great and the Powerful would, or the Great and Powerful, rather, would sort of turn out. Especially as it's Sam Raimi, you know, he can be a bit hit and miss. I love some of his films. The Evil Dead films, fantastic. I even like sort of Drag Me to Hell, thought that was great. And, you know, Dark Man's got its, its moments. Some of them, tend to be a bit shit. I'm pointing my finger directly at Spider-Man 3 at the moment. So, you know, with a massive budget and a huge studio behind him, I wasn't sure what to expect really from Oz. Um, But it it was a lot better than I expected it to be. It feels like a proper Sam Raimi film that's been made for a PG audience. Sounds a bit odd to say that because, you know, he's he's known for his quite sort of atmospheric and and scary, dark, twisted moments and stuff. But... um, it, it was funny. It was a funny film. Um, it's got lots of nods to the original Wizard of Oz film, as well as that kind of dark, darker element that I men- uh, mentioned earlier, the sort of ominous kind of feeling to the whole. So whole it's it's genre. it's a prequel to the Wizard of Oz, is it? Yeah, it's about Oz, the wizard, and how he came to be in Oz, and you know, became the wizard, and, and it follows the, the witches as well. And is it based on any kind of Novel because wasn't there wasn't wasn't the Wizard of Oz a novel that they made into a film all them years ago, or have I got that wrong? I, I honestly don't know. I do, re- do some research. Context. You're the only one who's made some notes. You haven't done any <laughs> research. Yeah, I should have done more research on it. So I just it... kind of into it with like no knowledge about what it was, other than it was about Oz the Wizard. Do Do you know if this is a planned remake of a series? Kind of like what they've done with Rise of the Planet of the Apes, and they're going to end up back at Oz, Wizard of Oz, with Dorothy and all that again, or is this just a different 
thing. Just um, a one-off. Yeah, I'd be surprised, because it kind of leads right up to how he became a wizard, and then the next film is really about Dorothy, you know? So I'd be kind of surprised if there was any anything they could squeeze in in between that. I know that, that you know, the, the musical Wicked was huge, which is probably the reason that Oz has been made anyway, you know, because of Disney cap, uh, capitalising on some of that, that musical success. But, yeah, I never saw Wicked. I don't really intend to see Wicked either. There was talk before they were going to make that into a film, so, you know, maybe they could be turning it into a, a kind of series like that where there's lots of films that tie into the same world. But not as far as I know. I don't think that the, there's any planned sequel. Okay. But, yeah. But anyway, the, the second film that I really wanted to talk about um, is the... Uh, I only saw it yesterday, actually, and I absolutely loved it. It's the Steven Soderbergh side effects, um, which is supposedly going to be his last film ever. He's not making any more films. And so I kind of wanted to see it on the big screen anyway. But, you know, we saw Magic Mike last year. And I did quite like elements of Magic Mike, but I thought it would, you know... Just, just be a bit like that, really. I was loved it? some of his other films. Contagion was great. It was the willies you liked, wasn't it? It was the willies. I yeah. loved the willies in it. Yeah. yeah, the big willies and the yeah. cock pump. That, yeah. That's my favourite. Yeah. Anything with the posing part joints there. <laughs> Absolutely. So I was a bit disappointed there were no willies in this, to be honest. But um, a bit of boobs, so you know, swings and roundabouts. Um, but yeah, no, it's brilliant. It's really fantastically clever script and. Despite the film starting off quite slowly, um, it sort of feels like... Uh, have, you, have you, either of you seen Contagion? Um, I think so. No. Okay. The, the thing about sort of Contagion was it, it was billed as an ultra-realistic film. You know, it's ultra-realism in that the kind of plot is just developed out of stuff that would happen, and they've tried to make it as real as possible if a virus did break out in the way that it did in that film. So... The way this film starts, it's kind of a bit slow and it's about um, a girl called Emily who's suffering from depression. She's given some drugs. She's prescribed all these different kinds of drugs. None of them seem to be uh, working very well. She starts sleepwalking and in her sleep, she um, stabs her husband, Channing Tatum, who's just got out of prison. So... It's it's a mystery, really, even though it seems like you've been given the details of exactly what's going to happen and what's happened, and you know it's, it seems like it's all neat package. But there's a lot more to it, and the way that the, the script kind of develops that is just fantastic. I was just amazed by it. I was, um, it's all kind of like you know smoke and mirrors. It, smoke and mirrors. It leads you into believing one thing, then suddenly it sort of pulls the curtain back, and you're looking at something else, and then again it, it twists again. So. It can be annoying in some films, but in this, it was just really, as I say, it was just really intelligent script, and um, it's probably its, its strongest aspect. But it is shot very much like a Soderbergh film, and that's what I really liked about it as well. So it's kind of got this, it's almost like a Hitchcockian thriller, you know? It's really kind of twisty, and, and but really clever at the same time. And then it's got the, the, the style that, you know, is familiar from things like Solaris, which didn't really have a great script, but was shot really well. Um, bit less like something like Ocean's Eleven, but you know, it's kind of it does feel like a Soderbergh film, which is great. And if this is going to be his last film, then it is a, one hell of a way to bow out because it's just fantastic. And I, I, one last thing that I really want to say that I was surprised by about side effects: Jude Law is properly brilliant in this, just a really, really good performance. 
And he's kind of just realising the potential that a lot of people have thought he's had but never quite achieved in in previous films. But in this, he's just there. He's just just fantastic. To be fair to Jude Law, he occasionally turns in, like, decent performances, doesn't he? Yeah, I mean, I've never really had a problem with him. I, I kind of... I think he's probably next best performance that I've seen was AI. I quite liked his little bit in AI. Um... But he was playing a sort of androidy robot in that. So. Have you seen the title of Mr. Ripley? Uh, no, but I do know that's supposed to be his best performance, isn't it? Yeah, I think he. I don't think he won, but he got an, he got an, uh, an Oscar. Yeah. Nomination. Well, he might have won, or he won a BAFTA or something. He, he got nominated for it. It, it, was, it was very good. Mm. I mean, he's made the the sort of Sherlock film, so I didn't really expect him to be in such a quite a. Um, you know, highbrow psychological thriller as this. I thought maybe he's just going down the route now that he's just going to be in films to make a lot of money. Um, but actually, this was, yeah, great. Uh, yeah, and he was just brilliant in it. So, yeah, I'll have to watch Talented Mr. Ripley and see how he compares. But I was really impressed with this. Okay, any other films that you would like to talk about with us, Owen? Uh, no, not really. I think two's enough, isn't it? Otherwise, I'll just be talking for the whole duration of the podcast. Okay. Uh, Jerry, what have you watched in the last seven days? I'm going to talk about one good, which was X-Men First Class, which I haven't seen until now. Uh, Yeah, good film. Um, It was good. I think it was probably better than the original trilogy. I haven't seen the Wolverine film for for good reasons, is it? (laughs) Yeah. yeah, it was a very it was a very good film in terms of, you know, a genre piece. It's not gonna be, you know, groundbreaking, um making your your best films ever list, I don't think. But for for a you know, a superhero film, it was good and, and, and it controlled the X Men mythology quite well, I thought. I thought there was definite sort of there was a lot of love for the for the source material there. Um a couple of problems I have with it. One, Kevin Bacon as a German just didn't work for me, especially when he was speaking German, like in the early scenes. So I was just like, what is this? <laughs> it's just it's just an American speaking German with an American accent. Um, uh, but he actually, he grew into it. He got better. Um, and I thought, actually, the writing on this was, was quite poor in part. Some of the script writing was pretty poor. And there was there was one scene in particular, like on the submarine between Kevin Bacon and January Jones, that was just it was it existed purely for exposition, just just to move the story along a little bit. And it was felt really amateurish and quite jarring, actually. I mean, overall, it was it was pretty good. But I mean, I was amazed because I, I couldn't remember who'd done it. I just watched it, and then I checked afterwards, and to find out that it was it was Matthew Vaughan and Jane Goldman writing it. I mean, it was like, wow, how did that happen? <laughs> They're usually really good. Um, I suspect Owen's got a bit of a, a view on this. Um, yeah, I mean, I quite liked it. I don't think it was quite as good as X-Men 2. But, um, yeah, I, there are moments in the script where you write it. It just seems to just be uh, expositional dialogue. And it, it kind of jars a little bit because the rest of the movie flows really well. I mean, the, the introductions of some of the characters, you know... Um, Charles Xavier, who's played by uh, James McAvoy, he's, his introduction is quite good. I thought it, it suited his character and it was written really well. But yeah, you're right, sometimes it just seems to stop mid-flow. And yeah. 
these bits in it that just really irked me a little bit. Some of it feels very clunky. And like you say, there are scenes like like Charles's introduction and, you know, even the, the sort of Magneto's introduction as well. They're, they're very well handled and they're, they're nice. And then you get, there's a scene where they just decide to give each other nicknames mm. and show off what they do. And it's like, could you not have found a more creative way of doing this than just them taking it in turns to say, this is what I do. Here's my nickname. Like it was literally that they were like, right, well, we've got these other characters, so we need to we need to say what they do and who they are. So let's just do it in about in, in about a minute. Just get them all to do it really quickly in a room. That was yeah. that was what it was. It was bizarre. So it was a strange mix, but overall, uh, you know, it was very good. There was some really good CGI in it. Um, generally well acted. Um, I think <sighs> Fastbender's really good in it, but. It's not as good as he as he has been in other films, but he's still. It's like he's not really. He doesn't seem to be trying as much with this one, but he's still very very good. Which actually, I I watched this and thought, do you know what? This is a sign that he really is a great actor because this isn't him really making that much of an effort. He just seems to be being fastbender, and he was still very good at what he did. Mm. Um, generally though, yeah, the plot was was all right. You know, it wasn't. You know, a twisty, turny, amazing thriller minute story. It was it was fairly standard fare, but it was interesting. It kept me engaged. I, you know, I wanted to know what what happened, and I, I would have liked it to be a bit more like Kick Ass in terms of making it more violent, um, and making it that sort of that eighteen kind of style. But I understand this this market; they're never gonna they're never gonna take it away from being a twelve A, are they? So. It, it was good. It was standard, you know, nice big budget Hollywood superhero blockbuster. Um, probably on a par with sort of. I, I would say it's as good as X Men Two actually, Owen, and it's probably about the standard of sort of Spider Man Two as well. That kind of, you know, handles it all right, but there's a bit a bit clunky in places that it doesn't quite work. That's fair enough. It's a better million times better than uh, Wolverine Origins, by the way. Yeah, I, I'm hesitating to ever bother to watch that. <laughs> to be honest, yeah, it that's a, that's an interesting film because it, it kind of suffered from the the pirating of it. It got released on um, torrents and stuff well before it was supposed to be released. So you you kind of get the feeling that they then really had to rush out a final film. So it's it's a, bit, it's a bit of a shit film anyway. But the way that it's hastily put together in the end, it really shows. Because the editing's a bit awful on it, but um, yeah. Yeah. Speaking speaking of dodgy films, the other film that I watched. Don't ask me why. I can't remember even remember what channel it was. It was some random channel on Freeview that I've never even noticed before. <laughs> um, and it's a film called The Forgotten. Has anybody seen it? Um, remind me what it's about. I might have done. It's called Steve's Forgotten. If it's... Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'm sensing a joke. <laughs> Um, it's got Julianne Moore in it and Dominic West out of the wire. Oh, right. <laughs> and basically Julianne Moore gets told by everyone that her son never existed. She has memories of her son and thinks that he died in a plane crash. And Is then she... everyone says that she never had a son. She had a miscarriage. Is this, uh, Is this the one where she's on a plane when it happens? Or is part of it on a plane? No, that, I, know, I know what you're thinking of. That's um, with Jodie Foster. Uh, yeah, that's, I'm thinking of the Jodie Foster one. This sounds really similar. Yeah. 
So it's not even like a subtle hint of aliens anywhere in the film and then they kind of blow it massively at the end. It's just like out of nowhere, completely <laughs> blindsided. This is the end, Steve. This is the middle. Oh. Right? And, and amazingly, these aliens have the ability to just pluck people. Like they can just, they'll be there and then they just like whip them off into the sky. I mean, quite literally, they'll be like, she'll be having a conversation with someone and then they just go and like pull her into the sky. Right? So they just like zap people off into the sky, and this like this just happens, and it's just like oh okay, and then you start thinking, well, if these aliens are able to just like whip people off the face, why don't they just whip her off the face? <laughs> why don't they whip all these people who are causing the problems? And it turns out that actually the experiment is testing um, a mother's bond with a child, and they can measure apparently these aliens, and there's you know 
they're testing the energy and, and everyone forgets apart from her. And they're trying to understand why she, oh God, it, it's just awful, awful. And it just gets worse and worse as it goes on. Because it, it's really promising at the start. And, and if they'd have explored the route of, you know, this being, pos- is, is it mental illness? You know, whether it's her inability to cope with the loss, all these kind of things, uh, whether there was a loss, what, you know, what's going on? It could have been a really good, serious film. Mm. And instead they just go, ah, is just it, go a bit crazy. Is it the worst introduction of aliens into a film since knowing of Nicolas Cage? <laughs> Yeah, probably, you know, probably. Although this predates it, so actually knowing should have learned from this. <laughs> knowing could learn from anything, didn't it? This predates it by like five years, so yeah, they really should have known. <sighs> Considering the, 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 the title is Knowing as well, oh. they really should have been fucking knowing. Uh, no, terrible film. Avoid, avoid, avoid. And, and don't be fooled by the first sort of 20 minutes, half an hour that seem like they might be sort of a Hitchcockian thriller going on that seems actually guys really bad and strangely enough um joseph rubin has not made another film since this film <laughs> and the ones that he did before were not good either i think the only notable ones he did he did money train which is the one with wesley snipes and uh, woody harrelson in <laughs> from the mid 90s and he did sleeping with the enemy with uh, julia robertson that's about it he's, he's literally done nothing in his career he's washed up yeah, I mean, sleeping with the enemy wasn't wasn't good either. So no, it, it, it's very telling that this film essentially killed off his career. Well, if you're gonna it's make terrible. if you're gonna make shit like that, you don't deserve to have a career in Hollywood. Yeah, the guy who wrote it as well got completely. That was that was the end of his career as well. There you go. Oh Why didn't the actors read the script first and think, "Hang on, this sounds rubbish." I think maybe they were a bit... I was trying to work this out myself, right? And I think, actually... Because Julianne Moore's performance in it, at least at the start, when she's got a fair bit of screen time and she's allowed to sort of act rather than endlessly doing these chase scenes, that she's actually quite good. Her performance is quite good. And I think that's what helps draw you in at the start. And then... Do you think, yeah. she, do you think she was just... She didn't read the script beforehand and was kind of reading it as they went along filming and then sort of... Well, so started off I, at the start like you did, thinking, oh, this is quite good, and acting really well, and then got to the middle and thought, oh, fuck this, I can't be bothered anymore. And phoned yeah, the rest, I, I, phoned I, the rest I, I, in. She, she read the first, like, ten pages or so. So, oh, yeah, yeah, this is really good. Like, skip to the end. It's like, oh, happily reunited at the end. Right, cool, right. Yeah, I'll do it. Give me a million quid. And then... <laughs> She didn't read all the shit in the middle. <laughs> oh, Julianne. Oh, dear. Uh, right, what films have I watched? Well, I can't talk about... Well, I can talk about briefly the two crap films that I watched in the last week, but they're going to be on the website. Is an article as part of my box office flop series. One should be up soon. So I watched The Green Lantern, starring Ryan Reynolds, which is part of the DC universe of superheroes. That was just... Terrible. I mean, for for a guy who's got a pretty impressive superpower, that it was just no charisma, a flimsy plot, and a bad guy that wasn't menacing or scary or terrifying or anything. You just didn't feel threatened by him at all, and it was worthy of flopping at the box office. But with them wanting to do a Justice League movie, you just wonder if they'll bung Ryan Reynolds into that as the Green Lantern still because he's already been established as that character and he's probably quite a big box office pull, or if they'll just sort of 
give up and start again with that character. To, to be fair, I think he does make a good Hal Jordan. I just didn't I think, think he, I, I usually like him in other films and TV programs that I've seen him in, but in this, I just think he lacked any kind of charisma. Um, he's usually quite charismatic as well. Yeah, I think it's more the script really than than his performance. I don't know. I mean, I kind of liked Green Lantern because I'm a bit of a DC fanboy anyway, so I quite like actual realization of that character. But yeah, I know it has got its flaws. I'm kind of trying to pretend they don't exist really. Um, and the other one that I'll be writing an article on soon is John Carter of Mars or John Carter, because the off-Mars part, they didn't want to put him because they didn't want people to think it was a sci-fi film or something. I don't know what what the marketing department were doing there, but they dropped the off-Mars bit for some reason. But that was just terrible. I didn't even watch it to the end. I couldn't be bothered. It was such absolute drivel. Just absolute nonsense. I couldn't be bothered with it. I, I would got... love you to to watch the Forgotten Steam, and then we could, you can tell me which one is worse. <laughs> I'm, I might well do that. If it's worse, both the Green Lantern and John Carter are on Sky Go. Watched two good films though in the last seven days. Uh, on Netflix US was American Psycho with for the first time I watched that with Christian Bale as Patrick Bateman, who was this is a great performance. It's an absolute psycho obviously nut job and you just kind of see his world unravel around him i mean where he starts off as quite a stable psycho and he seems to have everything under control and he's quite meticulous and then everything just absolutely collapses around him and actually comes quite comic at the end in my his character kind of comes a bit of a, a bumbling idiot towards the end does that make sense yeah. Have you read the book, Steve? No, it's a book. Don't be stupid. Oh. <laughs> Honestly, the book is is one of my favourite books. And it, it kind of, the book is, is much more clear in the fact that it's sort of skewering American society and it's really satirical. And I think the film perhaps doesn't have that. Did, did it come across as a satire to you, like a, a commentary on American society? Not particularly, really, no. Um, I mean, it was a good film, and, and it's entertaining, and the characters were interesting, and it was a good, good plot. But yeah, it didn't really come across as a satire or a parody of American society or American culture. Uh, it, see, I, I mean, I like the film. Don't get me wrong. I think it's, it's missing a lot that the book has, though. But it, I mean, it's, it's fairly well made. Interesting fact about that, by the way: Christian Bale playing Bateman. Do we know about the the, the relation with his mum with that book? No, no. His, his mum is a big time feminist and tried to have the book banned when it was published. She had <laughs> tried to have it banned from the UK and stuff. And she was really sort of forceful and vocal and, and sort of leading this campaign to not allow the book into the country because it's terrible. And, you know, and, and it is quite graphically violent. A lot of it is, you know, graphic violence towards women. But she she really wanted this book banned and like spearheaded the campaign and then. Like ten years later, was it? Her son was playing uh, Bateman on screen. <laughs> Unlucky love. Yeah, I just had deja vu while you were saying that as well. So what does that tell you? Nothing really. Just is your mum a big compen- like you know face- the face of feminism in the UK now, Steve? No. 
Ah. No, I doubt she's all that violence yeah. towards women. Yeah. Um, the other film that I watched, I only watched it today, on Netflix UK, it was The Hunger Games. Watched that for the first time. Um, starring Jennifer Lawrence as, basically, for those who don't know, I'm sure most people do, Hunger Games is set in the future where America has been in some kind of internal civil war and then one big area rules over 12 different districts and every year they pick two people, two young people from each district to compete in some games where it's basically a fight to the death. Um, I think one of you reviewed this, haven't you, for the podcast before? I might have talked about it. I've seen it, yeah. What did you you think of it? Um, I don't want to talk about it too much because it's quite new on, on... Netflix and DVD and things because I won't spoil it too much but I found it very enjoyable it's obviously not the best film ever but it was very enjoyable yeah I agree it's, it's not you're not going to come out thinking wow you know that was a cinematic visionary film it, it, it was it's a good solid big budget film and if you if you've seen Battle Royale and you like Battle Royale it's a bit like Battle Royale but with it's Jennifer like, Lawrence which is no you know negative to anything. No, I mean, it's pretty well put together. I can't say there was any particular weakness in it that sticks in my head. It hasn't stuck out as a great film or anything, but it was enjoyable. I think any any programme or, or movie with Woody Harrelson that doesn't have enough Woody Harrelson needs, you know, could be improved by having more Woody Harrelson. He is great in that, isn't he? Yeah. He I, really is good in that. I have just finished watching all of Cheers, though, so, I mean... And he's great in that. So. Um, it's interesting, the, the Hunger Games, because at the start of last year, after it just came out, it was everywhere, wasn't it? And then towards the tail end of last year, when people were sort of putting together lists of their favourite films of 2012 and stuff, it seemed to just disappear. Well, no one was talking about it. 2012 was a fairly good year for films, but you know, while the Hunger Games was big budget, it, and, it, and it was enjoyable, and it's got good performances. It's not great. On no level is it a great film. It's a good film that you can watch, but you don't really have to sit there and concentrate on it either. Hmm. Um, so it's, I don't think it's going to top many people's best list, but it's certainly not going to reach many people's worst lists. I had I had a free rental from Blinkbox um, recently, and I had the option of either renting Hunger Games or Cabin in the Woods, and I went for Cabin in the Woods. So did I make the right decision, or? Um, I think Cabin in the Woods is better, but just because it's, I don't know, better made. It's it's more of a homage to horror films, um, mm. and you've got lots of references and in jokes and that kind of thing. But The Hunger Games isn't bad by any means. It's certainly good and enjoyable. Okay, cool. Uh, did you notice as well, Steve? Did you notice Elizabeth Banks in it? Um, no. Do you know um, Effie Trinket, the one with the crazy hair? Yeah. That's Elizabeth Banks. Is oh, that? 40-year-old virgin and like Zach and Miri and stuff. Yeah. That's mental. Yeah. If, <laughs> if anybody watches this, keep your eyes peeled for, for Elizabeth Banks. I genuinely, I was like, hmm, she looks vaguely familiar, but... <laughs> and then it was Elizabeth Banks. It looks nothing like her. So see if you can spot her. That's, that's, well, <laughs> that's you can now. You just, told, you just told them who she is. Well, yeah. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, on on <laughs> now, <laughs> on now to a hastily arranged triple bill. We were going to do a corridor of praise for Stanley Kubrick, but we can't really do that without James. It's a bit unfair. 
Um, especially as he was the one who would have written the whole introduction and then if I could be bothered to do it. <laughs> so, with it being Mother's Day last Sunday in England, I know the rest of the world have a Mother's Day. I just don't know if it's the same date. Is it? I don't know. We've got listeners from around the world, but I don't know when Mother's Day is there. Anyone? I don't know. It was International yeah. Women's Day like last week, so we can, we can class it on that at the very least. That was, that was global. Nah, let's just do Mother's Day. Mother's Day was <laughs> Mother's Sunday. Mother's Day was Sunday in England, so we're going to do a hastily arranged triple bill. Our best movie mums. Um, and stop or my mum will shoot. Yes, that one did not that make money. No, no, it did not make the cut. <laughs> what was he thinking when he made that? He's thinking about the moolah. Yeah. Uh, right. Yeah. So I'll start off with my three. Um, my first one is, um, Forrest Gump's mum, uh, played by oh. Sally Field. That's a great shout. Um, mm. I can't remember her name. What was, what was the name of, or did it, did she actually have a name or was she just Mrs. Gump or mum? Just like mama, isn't she? Yeah. But played excellently by Sally Field and looks after Forrest Gump, who's obviously, as we know, not quite right in the head. I don't think they ever sp- specifically say what's wrong with him, but he's a bit simple. He's a bit slow. Yeah. He's a, <laughs> uh, but she has to put up with all these, you know, helping as a single mum, helping raise him on her own, on, you know, whatever money she earns. She tries to do the best for him, protecting him from, you know, the outside world who might see him as a bit different or a bit of a hindrance because of his various disabilities. Even sleeps with a school principal to get him into school. Um, so yes great mum in terms of what she does for him whether it might be hard for her or not there's so many jokes to be made about the fact that you think that your mum sleeping around to get you stuff isn't good mothering he needs I don't to... even know where to begin with the young <laughs> Steve look she did what needs to be done and look how it turned out eh yeah he he done loads of stuff Met some president. Yeah. Met some presidents. Was really good at ping pong. <laughs> Owned a boat. You know, what a life! It's a good choice. It's yeah. a good choice. Of course it is. Plus, she has one of the saddest things when she dies. Oh, yeah. Sorry if no one's seen Forrest Gump. Yeah, but... I'm full of the spoilers tonight. Just spoiler central this episode. They must have seen it by now. Um, You'd have to be living in a cave to have not seen Forrest come by now. Yeah. Second one that I picked isn't strictly speaking this person's mum. I mean, she's a mum, but she's not this person's mum. But it's the it's Edward Scissorhands. Um, what's her name? Someone remind me. Peg, the Avon lady who somehow. I can't. I haven't seen it for so long, but she discovers Edward Scissorhands in this big old haunted house. And takes him in despite his um, scissors for hands, <laughs> and kind of. Diane, Diane Diane West, w- yeah, she's the one who plays him. Uh, plays her. Um, it's been so long that I've since I've seen it, but I thought I'd pick that one because I didn't think anyone else would either. <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't pick it. <laughs> it didn't even occur to me. It's no. a unique pick, I think, Steve. Yeah, I I really did. I forgot about this to be honest. <laughs> Don't give the game away, yeah. Steve. Uh, the last one 
Let's gloss over that second one. After the first one was quite good. The second one was rubbish. Let's forget about that. The third one, not really in the list for being a good mum. Uh, it's Stifler's mum from American Pie. At Fortune, my peer on the podcast. Hey. <laughs> that wasn't the one that me and you were talking about earlier, was it, Jerry? Where we never actually no. named him? No. 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 I did consider her, to be fair. Yeah. But hasn't everyone? <laughs> yes. Uh, so that rounds off my list with Stifler's mum. <laughs> um, oh, and who did you pick? Um, well, I think quite predictably, um, I, my first choice is Sarah Connor from the Terminator series. Crossover. Yeah, I thought there would be. I was going to be very surprised if there was no one else who's, who's picked her. Um, yeah, I mean, she might not be the most responsible parent in the world, Um but, you know, she's one of the most interesting characters. I think even, you know, just a great character, full stop, never mind being a great sort of mother character. Um, yeah, I think she's really interesting. The way that she grows through the course of the series, you know, the, of the film, starting off as this um, sort of typical 80s, uh, hip, sort of big blonde-haired partying girl, then due to the whole evil robot from the future that's trying to kill her stuff, becomes a real kind of action hero. and. Um, yeah, great character. Would you agree, Jerry? Yeah, I mean, she was the first one that came to mind when we when this topic came up. Yeah, she's just in terms of iconic cinema women as well, not just mm. not just mothers, but you know, there's there's sort of her and and uh, Ripley from Alien very much stand out as iconic strong women in film, and she she, she yeah, she's awesome. She's really awesome. And also kudos to, uh, I can't remember the woman who played her, Linda. Oh, I can't remember her name, but she, she really worked her ass off for that role as well. I mean, you look at, if you ever read about the sort of the physical preparation she did for that role, she was intense. Really? Yeah. She spent like, I think it was like six months. Uh, Linda, what's her name? Linda, Linda Hamilton. Uh, Linda Hamilton. Ah, yeah. She, she honestly, she, she really went to town. Making sure she she could she looked like someone who could kick ass in that film. Mm, definitely, yeah. So she was great. So that was my first pick. My second pick. You know, you've just kind of mentioned um, about sort of Sigourney Weaver and Ripley. She's not my my second choice. My second choice is the alien queen from Aliens, because um, you know it's a mom, whether it's an alien or a human. But um, yeah, I only found out earlier on actually that Ripley in the Aliens film is a mom by that point in the series. At Deep Angloss on Twitter mentioned her as his sort of favourite film mom. So I did a bit of Googling, did a bit of research. And yeah, in an alternative version of Aliens, turns out that she had a daughter who lived to be the age of 67 and died. I did not know that. That's sort of blown my mind a little bit. Sorry, where's this daughter? I'm really confused. Yeah, I don't know. She had a daughter that was apparently died when she got to 67 years of age because, you know, Aliens is set quite far into the future from Alien. But it just completely, I've no idea. I just sort of saw it on IMDb and, yeah, I, what? It, I still haven't really got my head around it, to be honest. But, yeah, an alternative version of it. She's um, she's a mum. Because I know she becomes a mum in uh, Alien Resurrection. Uh, but... She's kind really... of an adoptive mom in, in Aliens as well. With Newt, yeah. 
but uh, yeah, apparently she she actually had a daughter who died. It was just edited out of the original version. But um, yes, yeah, no. So she could have been one of my favourite film mums if I'd have known that when I was sort of putting this together. But no, she, the the uh, alien queen is. I think the the first time you see the alien in the first film in Ridley Scott's film, uh, it's just incredibly sort of creepy and scary and you know everything that it's supposed to be the first time you see the alien queen in aliens is it's sort of opposite to that in that it's just this awesome scene you know the first time you actually see her and uh, you know when ripley's sort of making the pact in the tunnel with her uh just one of the best moments of the whole film series really and she's just fantastically designed too and all the little eggs and stuff and yeah just brilliant brilliant designed and uh Great film, Mum. Yeah. Uh, my, then my final pick is um, I wouldn't expect any crossover with this one, but Zira from the Planet of the Apes films. You only really see her as a mom, kind of briefly during the third film series, but it's her scene kind of towards the end of Escape from the Planet of the Apes. It's one of the best moments in that that whole sort of series of five films, really, because it's so kind of bleak and tragic compared to what went on before in the rest of the film. Which is kind of a fairly light-hearted sci-fi, even if it, you know, it's got this message in there about sort of saving the planet, which is about as subtle and as crudely forced in as it could be in an episode of Captain Planet, for example. But you know, there's there's a particular point towards the, the end of the film where her and uh, her husband Cornelius kind of hide in and they're being sort of trapped by um by some uh, officials and. It's really actually quite a touching scene with her and and her little baby. Um, You kind of just forget it's just two people in monkey costumes carrying like what must, I don't know what it is, just a bag of flour in a blanket or something. But yeah, it's really kind of quite a touching touching moment in the series. So I think because of that, and I did quite like the character of Zero anyway, I think she's just played brilliantly by um, Kim Hunter through the whole whole series. But yeah, in in Escape from the Planet of the Apes, Zero, she's a mom and so she gets onto my list. Okay. Was there any crossover? Did anyone choose Zira? No. Awesome. No, I didn't think there would be. Um, well, <laughs> who, other than Sarah Connor, did you pick then, Jerry? Um, first one, I've, I've chucked a lot of spoilers out so far. Uh, this this one is kind of a spoiler, but it's kind of not. Um, it depends on how you read it and how deeply you take it. But The Bride in Kill Bill. Okay. Um who it's, it's established pretty early on um, that she is left for dead whilst pregnant uh, by the people who wronged her. And then the, the story of Kill Bill 1 and Kill Bill 2 is her getting revenge on the people who attacked her and left her for dead and put her in a coma while she was pregnant and getting married. So she is sort of that revenge mission. is similar to Sarah Connor, really, in that kind of criteria. It's, it's, it's very much... She's gonna go out and kick some ass on mm. half of her <laughs> on behalf of her offspring. Uh, it, it's, I, lo- I love Kill Bill. I mean, I love both the films. I really like Tarantino. I, I like Uma Thurman in, in, in those films. I like her in, in most of sort of Tarantino stuff when she's been in that. I'm not a particular fan in some of the, especially when she does like sort of romantic comedies. I think she's she's not good at them, but she's really good at this role, and it's a kind of an iconic an iconic role again. And I won't go into any more than that because I've already chucked a lot of spoilers around. All right. <laughs> no, it's a good choice. 
we had a few people, um, I think a couple of people mentioned her on Twitter as well. It's a very popular choice. She, she was a good choice, though. Yeah, she, I mean, it was kind of her and Sarah Connor were the ones that came came into my head. Mm. And another one that occurred to me, um, which I was fairly confident that no one else would name, um, is I can't decide. I'm gonna I'm gonna chuck a film in. If anybody's seen it, you can help me decide. Volver by it's an Alma Dovar film. Has anybody seen it? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Steve, uh, it's a subtitle film. Why am I asking Steve? <laughs> <laughs> You've not seen it, have you, Steve? Definitely not. Not if I off the road. Uh, right. Uh, basically, the film is the story of Penelope Cruz and her daughter. And her mother has died. And then, without wanting to spoil anything, she ends up moving back to sort of re- regaining her links with her family. And her mother's died. And, and sort of the mum has, has things left undone in her life that she then needs to get done. And it's hard to pick between Penelope Cruz and Penelope Cruz's mom, who's, I can't remember the actress that they're, they're playing, um, but but both of them are really strong. I mean, Almodovar has a sort of a trademark thing of having these really strong women who, you know, are, are very sort of powerful and and he's very good at doing females. I did consider doing All About My Mother. Has anybody seen All About My Mother? No. No. God, you are terrible. Uh, <laughs> Carmen Maurer um, is, is the mother in, in Volver. Sorry, it's just it's just occurred to me. She's also in Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown, which is a great early Alan Dovar film if you want sort of an introduction to his work. Um, he's known for these strong females, basically, and and... and in this, it's kind of there's, there's themes about hometowns and small small town life in Spain and things like that. But really, it, it's about sort of relationships between mothers and daughters, and it's absolutely fantastic. I'm really highly recommended. Um, but it's it's hard to just this sort of decide between Penelope Cruz and her mum in this. But I'm gonna go just about with Penelope Cruz but only because I agree strongly with her one action that she takes as a mother. And I can't tell you what that is, because, again, it's a spoiler. But if you watch it, you, you may agree with me. I'd be really interested if, if someone watched this, by the way, um, for their, or any Almodovar films, and I keep recommending them, and none of you watch them, you shower of <laughs> bastards. Um, but, yeah, it'd be, it'd be interesting to see if, if other people watch this and agreed with my choice of, of her as the... As, as the preferred mother, although I, I, I do like Colin Maurer's character a lot as well. Uh, yeah, I'm going to check it out then. I will watch it and then I'll report back. You watch like 10 films a week, so you can, you can, can fit I, this one in. If it's easy to get a hold of, then yeah. If it's on like Love Film Instant, or otherwise it just goes on the watch list and ends up. That's already quite long, but I'll try and track it down. I, th- I think it's on Love Film. I know, I know it's on Love Film. I don't know whether it's on Love, Love Film Instant, but it's, it's definitely around. Okay. Okay, I think that's all for this week's podcast. Then, um, thanks for everyone who contributed in any way whatsoever. And I guess that includes Kevin McLeod from Incompetech.com for the music at the beginning and the end of the podcast. Um, yes, we'll be back next week, uh, hopefully with James. Um, so. See you all then.